We're going to be uh, back in Proverbs this morning. Back in Proverbs here. Uh, before we get started, real quick, uh, administrative note here. Um, family and I are going to be taking a few days off this week. It's uh, my wife and I's anniversary, so we're going to take some time and uh, try to reconnect. So, and uh, get some time and just kind of enjoy that. So, if you need to get a hold of me, grab me today, because uh, we're going to be out and about this week. So, just want to give you a heads up on that. We'll make sure we're definitely back here for uh, next Sunday, though. So, we're in Proverbs 3. And you're going to get a chance to go through this. If you remember correctly, a couple weeks ago we were in Proverbs 3 and we did the first half of it, verses 5 and 6, about uh, seeking God's will. And now we're going to do the second part here of Proverbs 3. Now, I'm going to give you a forewarning because I have to tell you this because some people get really squeamish about this topic. We're going to talk about money a little bit this morning. And I know as soon as money comes up in the church, you guys start grabbing your wallets because you think we're going to go for it. So... We have not gone for your wallets yet. I still tell you this. I first started attending Harvest in 1993, and I came in 1993 with money in my pocket expecting them to pass the plate, and 17 years later, we still haven't passed the plate. So we're not going to take your money today, but we are going to talk about your money, and we're going to talk about possessions. And it's interesting how people will come to me, and they will talk about their deepest, darkest sins and heartache and problems, and they will open up about anything. But as soon as the topic of money and finances come up, people start getting very strong opinions. Well, that's all the church wants is the church just wants my money, etc. And I tell you, the truth is, I think there are some ministries and there are some churches that just want your money. And the problem is those churches and those ministries have given a bad rap to a lot of other churches and ministries. So, forewarning... The topic will come up today, but as with everything out here, the beauty of going verse by verse through the Bible is when you come up with these type of topics, you can stop and say, let's look biblically at what God is saying here. So without much further ado, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now verse 9 is good. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Very simply put, it's God's. Now, the question we've got to ask here before we get into this is, how do we do with this? Let's just be honest. Do we really honor God with what we have? Because I hear this a lot from people. It's, it's my stuff. It's, it's my money. I worked for it. I did it. You know, we're in a phase right now at home in the Irvin household where we're into this my phase. Kenan's gotten old enough now where he likes to play with the same things that Elias and Judah play with. So we have one toy spread amongst the three older boys. And you're trying to teach them it's not the my thing, it's the share thing. It's, you know, put everything first type of an attitude. But you know what? The same thing happens with us as adults, isn't it? We still have the same mindset of it's mine. It's my money. I worked for it. Why does God want it? Just let me make this point here abundantly clear. God doesn't want your money. He just doesn't want you to want your money. And that's what it comes down to. I run into this as a parent. I will see the three kids fighting over a toy. You know what I say? Give it to me. I don't want that toy. I could care less about that toy. But I don't want to see my kids fight over that toy. So give it to me. I'm going to play with that toy for a while. 
I'm going to put that toy up on the top shelf. I don't want it. And this is what happens a lot of times with the Lord. Well, God just wants my money. God is not broke. I remember one of the first teachings I heard after I first got saved. I started going to Christian radio, and this is 17 years ago, and there was not the options of Christian radio that we have today. And now you have just Christian radio all over the place. And so I was listening to this one Christian radio station, and I kid you not, and I, and I could not... I could not overstate this to make it sound worse than what it was. This is how bad it was. They were doing this program, and the guy would get on, and he would say, we only have enough money to stay on for ten more minutes. If you do not get your gifts and offerings in, we cannot stay on ten more minutes. And then somebody would call in and be like, oh, okay, we can stay on now till 4.30. And, and I just thought, my goodness, it makes it sound like God is like shaking the couch for dimes and nickels and pennies up there. And I thought, what a bad witness and testimony to the Lord. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And not only owns the cattle, he also owns the hills that the cattle's on. God's not broke. So why does God come out and say in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions. Because it's not mine. So since it's not mine, I need to be able to let it go. The Bible uses this fancy word that we don't use much anymore called being a steward. And steward literally means manager. It's like God says, James, I want you to manage this for me. I'm putting you down there in bodily form through the power of the Holy Spirit to manage that for me. You're my steward. This is not my church. It's not my flock. It's God's. He's just asked me to be a pastor over here for a time. You know, it's not my house. Yeah, I may be the one making the payments on it, but ultimately I have to realize it's the Lord's possession. And if there's a way that I can use that for his ministry, I want to use that. It's not my car. If someone says, hey, could I use it to borrow it to go do this? Hey, I need to be able to say, hey, go ahead and use it, borrow it. But it's not just possessions of physical things. Here's the one I struggle with. It's not my time. See, I'm real selfish on time. And God has said, it's my time. Your time to rest is for all of eternity, but your time on this earth is to make a difference for the kingdom. And when you have that mindset, it's like, Lord, it's my time. I like solitude. I like quiet. You know, I like, you know, being alone. And God says, no, I've had you to be out there, to be part of the world. I really, really easily could become a hermit. I could. I wouldn't have to shave. I wouldn't have to do a lot of stuff. I could just sit. Dawn and the kids could visit on holidays. It'd be great. <laughs> but the thing is, it's not my time. That's a possession I have. And God says, I need to honor the Lord with it. And look at this next phrase. And with the first fruits of all your increase. See, here's the problem. is A lot of times as Christians, we don't give the first fruits. We give him what works into our schedule. We schedule everything else first, and then God kind of nicely, snugly fits in. Now, there's a fact of life that sometimes life is busy. And I've mentioned this to you out here before. We've been praying about, you know, possibly going to two services, et cetera. And just, you know, it opens up a whole door of also possibilities of people being able to say, hey, I can make the first one because we've got stuff going on in the second. There's nothing wrong with that. But what comes a problem is sometimes where life gets so busy, the schedule is so full that, you know what, there's not even time. At least we don't make time to simply pray during the day, have some time in the Word, or be part of the body, be part of the fellowship. That's not honoring the Lord with the first fruits. Now, there's also the concept of first fruits of where it comes to money. You know, one thing that Dawn and I have done ever since, uh, even before we got married and after we got married, is, you know, right off the top, right off the gross, you know, we give 10% 10 of that to further the kingdom of God. 
And I think there's, that's a biblical concept of honoring God with the first fruits. And the blessing that comes out of that, verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I'll tell you right now, and I can give testimony after testimony how God has blessed Dawn and I, and I believe a lot of it just comes down to the faithfulness of us saying, Lord, it's not our money, it's not our stuff, it's yours, and Lord, you've asked for this, and so we give this to you willfully, cheerfully, and say, use it for the furtherance of the kingdom. That's a blessing, and we're thankful for that. But once the subject of money comes up, people get a little, get a w- little weird about it, don't they? heard a great little joke about money recently. There were a $20 bill and a $1 bill got sent back to the Federal Reserve because they were old, decrepit, and they were going to be destroyed because that's what they do with the old money. So as the $20 bill and the $1 bill were on the conveyor belt heading towards the fire, they struck up a conversation. The $1 bill asked the $20 bill, so what have you done? Where have you been? And the $20 bill says, I've been everywhere. I've been to Vegas, Atlantic City. I've been to Broadway shows. I've been to baseball games. I have been everywhere. And had a lot of fun. $20 bill, also the $1 bill. $1 bill, where have you been? He goes, oh, I've been everywhere. I've been to the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, the Catholic church. <laughs> but there's truth to that. I can remember, I can remember before I got saved. I, I, I told you, when I came out here for the first time 17 years ago, I wasn't saved. I made sure I had $2 in my pocket. Because it doesn't matter the amount, it just looks good. You know, taking it out of the pocket, sticking it into the plate as it goes by. You know, you just you want that to look good. We have, a, we have a problem with that, don't we? You know, and that's what it comes down to. You know, one of the things that we've also mentioned out here, we're hoping when God provides and when God works out, we have to do this, we have to do this sewer project that the flags are out in. You know, we also have to, we're hoping that even if the Lord opens the door and we can, to maybe even add on next year. Uh, you know, we need more Sunday school space, bathroom space, etc. And you know, and so what happens is, how does that happen? It happens through the first fruits. Now, we're not the church to push that. We're not going to stick some big thermometer out front. We're not going to give you constant updates. We're not going to take special offerings. Because what it comes down to is the Lord speaks to our heart. And it's not just the giving of the money. It's the giving of the possessions. It's the giving of the time. And that's a struggle for a lot of us. But look at the result of this. Verse 10. Let me read this one more time. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. See, now the problem is we look at verse 10 and we say, "Ah, now this I like. Because when I give, I get. And and this is a concept that is throughout the entire Bible. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given unto you. I like that. Ecclesiastes says, cast your bread upon the waters and in many days it will return. Next time you're at a big body water, go up to Deshler Reservoir, you throw something in the water, eventually it comes right back to where you're at. We like those things. Turn, if you will, real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. We like these concepts of I give and I get back. I throw it on the water and it comes right back to me. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, come on, guys. It's one book to the right. You guys are moaning and groaning about going from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. Actually, it's Ezekiel. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. 2 Corinthians 9. 
But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, now, we hear those verses, give and will be given unto you. If you reap bountifully, you will also sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. God loves a cheerful giver, it will be given back unto you. And I've seen ministries do this. Plant a seed gift of $20, and in a month you will receive tenfold back. The problem is God is not an investment banker. And that's the way they treat him. Is that, okay, I'm struggling here financially, so th this ministry is promising if I make a seed gift donation of $1,000, that God is going to do this, this, and this, and this. That, that is not the way it works. And I want to make that abundantly clear. These verses, though, are all true. When you give unto the Lord and give unto the kingdom, God does also take care of you. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that. And I remember Rich Betts one time saying something about this. He goes, sometimes the way God blesses you is simply just peace in the house. See, so often we think financially. God has blessed Dawn and I a lot. We're very thankful. We have two cars that run. We have a house that doesn't have a leak. Those are blessings. Those are absolute blessings. And I don't ever think as we give money to the kingdom, like, okay, God, I can't wait to see how much cash you have show up at the door. No, the Lord just blesses us. So what is the balance of this then? Because God is asking us to check our heart. And he says in verse 7, Let each one of you give as he purposes in heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now I think this works in a lot of areas, not only financial, but ministry, etc. If something is that much of a burden to you, or you are full of such anger and frustration on having to do it, you really need to stop and say, why is that? And a lot of times people take that verse and say, well, I'm not happy about this. I'm not cheerful about it, so therefore I'm just not going to do it. That's not what that verse is saying. That verse is saying if there is not a joy in serving and giving of your possessions and time, you really need to stop and ask why, not just stop. Now, there's certain things that I know I'm not called to do. And if you ask me to go serve in that capacity, I can do it. Is it cheerfully? Probably not. Is it grudgingly? Not quite. The Bible uses another word that's called, it's our duty. And we're willing to do that. Take, for example, for uh, VBS this last week, I shared with you, I, I served in the toddler room. And toddlers and me don't click. But the problem is I have two toddlers. And so one day in the VBS, we had 17 toddlers. Yeah. It's like Dante's Inferno, seven layers of hell right there. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> But the point is, was I cheerful? I'm not going to say I was jumping up and down saying, let's break 20 toddlers today. I wasn't saying that. Was it begrudging? No. It was, hey, this is the need. This is where it needs to be, and let's go ahead and do this for the furtherance of the kingdom and show love. But if somebody comes and says, I absolutely hate and abhor this, I usually ask them two questions. Number one, are you sure you're where God is leading you to be? Because if you're serving where God's not leading you, it's probably not going to click. Number two, is God leading you and you just don't like it? See, there's times where people come up and generally, and this is what happens, Tony Christensen always teases me never to teach on this because what happens is usually somebody comes up and says, you know what, I'm not called to serve in the back. And she says, every time you do a message like this, someone says, okay, that's a begrudging, I'm not called. But if you're serving someplace where you're not called, it is going to be begrudging and you know what, it's going to hurt you in the body. It is. We don't want that. But at the same time, there are times in your Christian walk where you are called to serve and it may not be what you want. And God says, tough luck. I want you to work on the cheerful heart. 
Because you know why? It's service. It's duty. It's honoring the Lord with your possession, your possession of time and energy and resources. And God says, honor that. And he says, as you do that, verse 10, back now in Proverbs 3, your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow. Okay, so let's find the balance of this. We don't give to get, but yet as we give, we get. Yeah. See, if you go into the mindset of, you know what, I'm going to pray a bunch today and read a bunch today because i got a big day at work tomorrow and I want it to go well, so I'm going to give today and then God owes me. Oh, God is a debtor to no man. And so if you feel like because you gave that God now owes you, come on, Lord. I served with 17 toddlers. You owe me a good day. Jesus says, I died on the cross for your sins. I owe you nothing. See, and it's not just with possessions, it's also with finances, with money, etc. If someone says, I'm giving this money because therefore God will do this. No, you give because it furthers the kingdom of God. So, what happens though, in verse 10, that the barns become filled with plenty and the vats overflow? What's the balance of this? You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to share with you a real quick verse out of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. It says, For everyone to whom much is given from him will be required. For first off, to everyone much is given, much will be required. So therefore, the more God gives you, the more he requires of you. So therefore, if you are given a ministry that has a lot of fruit and a lot of responsibilities, God says, you know what? I'm asking a lot of you. You need to be spiritually strong privately. You need to be spiritually strong publicly. Because I'm asking a lot of you, to whom much is given, much is required. Now, the way it's supposed to work is the same concept that we have in the world. And I know a lot of you can probably attest at your own job it doesn't work that way. But the person that is good at managing should be in a managerial position. The person that has proven that they can handle the job should be doing it. To whom much is given, much is required. Why do bosses usually make more than the other employees? Because more is asked of them. But the second part of this verse... And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. So what this is also saying is if you are given something and you do good at that, they're going to ask you to do more. How many of you here today had a job and you really liked it? And you did really good at it. You did so good they wanted to promote you. Well, when you get promoted, what's, what, what do they dangle in front of you? Oh, usually from hourly to salary. Or maybe a little more money, a couple extra weeks of vacation. But to whom more is given, more is required. They're asking a bigger commitment of you. See, the same thing happens here spiritually. When it talks about the barns being filled and the vats overflowing, what God is saying, okay, you've been proven in the little things, now I'm giving you more. So your barn is overflowing because you have proven yourself in the little, so therefore I'm giving you more. And that's what God does. He says, I've seen your heart. I've seen you can handle this. So, boom, here it is. You can handle that. You know, one of the things I always tell everybody is I had a guy uh, contact me um, about possibly starting up a Bible study. He used to come out here, and he doesn't come out here anymore, and he asked for prayer for that. And I remember talking to him years ago, and my little rule, and this is something I learned when I first got saved, uh, at Calvary Chapel always said, hey, if you want to find out if you're called to be a Bible study leader, start a Bible study. See if anybody comes. If no one comes... Probably not called to lead a Bible study. If people come, well, maybe you got the gift of teaching and you're called to lead a Bible study. To whom much is given, much is required. 
too much is committed, the more will be asked of him. So if more people start coming, God is saying, okay, I'm going to use you. You're honoring me with your possessions. You're honoring me with your time and your energy and resources. And you know what? You have been given the gift of teaching through the Spirit, so therefore, I'm going to grow this. Not because of what you've done. No, no, no. Because I'm going to use this to further the kingdom. And so that's what it's talking about when the barns are overflowing and the vats are being filled. Maybe you are blessed with a job. You make real good money. The Bible says you've been blessed with that good. You can help further the kingdom in a lot of ways financially. Maybe you're blessed with a life that has a lot of spare time. Great, you've been asked to pray a whole lot more than others. And maybe if you can, you've been asked to serve a lot more than others. See, it's all where you're at. If you have a lot of time, great. There's more things for you to sign up for. There's more things for you to pray for. Whatever area it is, whatever possession God has given you, He says, honor me with that and you will be blessed because you get to further the kingdom. That's the blessing as the kingdom gets furthered. But now, let's look at the flip side of this. Stay in Proverbs chapter 3. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it to you when you have it with you. See, we're talking about honoring God with our possessions. Now in Proverbs 3 it says, do something about it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Now the question comes up of, who's due? Because let's just be honest, we are so judgmental. So judgmental. What's the first thing you think of when you pull into Walmart and the guy's standing at the side, the sign that says, we'll work for food. Now don't answer, but a lot of you probably, yeah, right, we'll work for food. The guy just wants a handout. If he wanted a job, he could go find a job. He just wants something free. He's not going to do anything. He's probably just going to take money and go buy beer with it. We're judgmental, aren't we? We're really judgmental when it comes to stuff. And it comes to anything in life. I could go on and on with examples of judgmental because you know why? I've heard it out of your mouths. I've also heard it out of my mouth sometimes. So whom is due in verse 27? Turn, if you will, now to Luke chapter 6. Let's see whom is due. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Let's talk about whom is due. Luke 6, uh, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Verse 30 is one of those verses where you read that. Give to everyone who asks of you. You want to say, okay, what's the context of that? Because um, that really verse could cause a lot of problems, couldn't it? Give to everyone who asks of you. Because what happens when somebody asks something that you don't want to do? Are you required now biblically? You, I have to. 
You know, what happens if you know that that money you give them or that possession you give them is going to be ill-used and ill-abused? What do you do? I've shared this story with you before. Dawn and I, before we had kids, loved to go to Atlanta Braves games. Absolutely loved them. And we'd go down to Atlanta every year. We'd go down to Cincinnati and watch the Braves play. And every time you leave a ballpark, there's always, for lack of a better word, I don't know what to call them, beggars, right there outside the ballpark. You've got 40,000 people coming out of that stadium, and, and they line up right there, and they, and they all have a sign. And the signs may say, you know, we'll work for food or, you know, uh, you know, homeless vet, something like that, and they all have a sign. And I remember one time coming out of Cincinnati, and there was a guy that had a sign that said, I won't lie, I want to buy beer. And that was his sign. And he collected the most. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Now, are we required as Christians to say, well, give to everyone who asks? Because you mean if some guy comes into my office and says, Pastor, I want 50 bucks. I have a drug and alcohol habit I can't kick. And I've used my whole paycheck on it, and I need another $50 so I can go out and buy some more stuff. I'm not going to give that guy money. But the Bible says, give to everyone who asks of you. See, but there's something that I like to call in the Bible balance verses. And we're not going to turn there, but just write this down. Matthew 10, 16. Matthew 10, 16. Be as wise as serpents, but as peaceful as doves. There's godly wisdom. And godly wisdom says, you're going to go out and blow this money on drugs and alcohol. I'm not going to give you money on that. I'm not. Now, there are times where someone comes and may give me a great, great story. And I don't know what they're going to do. So let's say, help them out. And they would say, they go blow it on drugs and alcohol. That's between them and the Lord. I gave that to them in purity of heart. If they choose to misuse that and abuse that because they were going to do something I did not know about, that's between them and the Lord. But you know, I would tell you this, and you can think whatever you think of me, that's fine. If I see somebody that says, we'll work for food, you know what I do? I stop and talk to every single one of them, and I give them something. And what I usually do is I go to McDonald's and I buy a McDonald's gift card and I'll go back to them and I'll give them a McDonald's gift card and I'll tell them, I give this to you in the name and the love of Jesus. Now, what they want to do with that, that's their choice. As far as I know, McDonald's does not sell drugs and beer. <laughs> and if they're truly hungry for food, even if I give them a $5 gift card, that's five double cheeseburgers right there. That can feed them for a while. Now, that's what I do. I'm not pushing that on you. That's for me, because I know that I want to do something. When it says, give to everyone who asks of you, I want to do the best I can. I got a shirt that I like to wear, and, I, and it says, um, let me drop everything and work on your problem. Now, I've shared the story with this real quick, and I'll just share it one other time. It was, it was bought that shirt six years ago, and I saw it. I loved it. Dawn saw it. She loved it, but we loved it for different reasons. My wife is very sarcastic. And she loved the sarcasm of that, of let me drop everything and work on your problem. I loved it because I thought, that's Christianity. Let me drop everything and work on your problem. So if you see me wearing that shirt, I'm wearing it out of love. <laughs> it, if you see Dawn wearing that shirt, she's making fun of you. I'm just telling you that right now. So I will drop everything and try to work on your problem. And I will give to everyone who asks of me as best as I possibly can with the time and energy and resources we have. I will. 
Now, that, I, want, I want to make this clear. That's me. That's my personal opinion. That's my burden between me and the Lord. I'm not going to sit up here and say, every time you see something, if I don't have kids in my car or Dawn's not with me, if I see somebody hitchhiking, I'll just try to stop. I, I want to see, it's an opportunity to plant a seed. We'll see where the Lord goes with it. I don't know. Now, if you continue on reading with this verse, verse 31, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Oh, he is kind to the unthankful and evil. That verse bothers me. Because, Lord, if they are unthankful and evil, why? Why are you doing that? And the response I always get is, James, sometimes you're unthankful and evil. Now, I may not be as unthankful and evil as others, but I have my moments of unthankfulness and evilness. And God says, you know what? I still love you. Verse 36, therefore be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Balance verse, Matthew 10, 16. Be wise as serpents, but as peaceful as doves. There's nothing wrong with saying no. And I remember one time at a pastor's conference, a pastor said something, just because there's a need doesn't mean you have to fill it. There's needs all over the place. There are needs all over. Give to those to whom it is due. Now, I, I was just taking some notes and I was thinking about this. This is just, once again, my personal opinion. I see people sometimes that want to change the world. Great. But they are so focused on changing the world that the ministry of their house and their family and their kids are pushed off to the side. They're so focused on furthering the kingdom at work and their community that the kingdom of their house that God has given them, they're not being the wise steward of their family. I'll, I'll tell you right now, I don't have the power to change the world. I cannot feed Africa. I cannot fix that earthquake down in Haiti. I can't do anything like that, and I can't. Now, I can make a donation. I can help. But I can't fix that. But I do have the power to witness to my neighbors, pray for the church, clean the church, serve in the back, go on prayer walks like we had yesterday, bake stuff, or maybe I can't bake something, buy Oreos, I don't know. I have the power to do things like that. But I can't go to Africa and fix AIDS and feed them. I can't. So I know for me personally, give to, go to whom it is due, God says, James, focus on where you're at. And I tell you, in Hamler, Dashler, Melinta, Lipsick, Belmore, Grelton, Holgate, tell you, if there's anything I can do, you bet I'm going to try to do it. That doesn't mean I ignore the world. But I know that there's bigger people, better people than me, that have a bigger outreach and a bigger ministry that's able to go do stuff like that. I know where God's called me. I know what God has called me to do. So I'm going to focus on, number one, taking my walk deeper in Christ. Number two, loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Number three, raising my four boys to hopefully grow up and accept Jesus at an early age. And then after that, I'm going to do whatever I can to serve Jesus Christ through Harvest Fellowship. And I'll give to those to whom it is due as the best that I can. 
Now jump back to Proverbs chapter 3 here. Do not withhold good from who this do, what it is in the power of your hand to do so. The power. Like I just said, I don't have the power to change Africa, but I can witness to my neighbors. I don't have the power to fix Haiti, but I have the power to help serve. Verse 28, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. What it's basically saying there in verse 28, when you have the opportunity, take that opportunity. There's that great verse that says, be prepared in season and out of season. That's such an important thing. Be prepared in season and out of season. You never know when God's going to ask you to do something. And we never say, I can't. I told you, we're going to try to take a few days off this week. Go celebrate the anniversary. Go do some stuff with the family. Now, you guys know where I live. Our home number is in the directory. You guys got Dawn's cell phone number. If you pop at my house, am I going to hide and under a blanket and say I'm not answering the door? No. If the phone rings, are we not going to answer it? Of course not. We love you guys. But at the same time, too, when given an opportunity... Let's take advantage of that. I see a lot of Christians, and myself included, that have dropped the ball because there was an opportunity given. And we didn't do it because it just didn't work into our time frame. I, I still remember, and this one still bugs me, and I shared this with you, that there was a situation oh, months ago out here at church where there was a gal that was visiting and had the chance to really get a chance to witness to her. And it was a crazy Sunday. Service was getting ready to start. And I had people that wanted to chat with me and were really, really planting seeds and, and talking about a real relationship with Jesus. And I had a chance to ask her, you know, have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? She said, yeah, but she had fallen back. So I was going to talk to her about recommitting her life to the Lord. And, you know, Marv had the audacity to start worship at 10, and so I couldn't get a chance to talk to her. And I should have just pulled her off to the side. I should have said, step into the kitchen. And I, you know, I said, okay, I'm just going to grab her after church. I never got a chance to grab her after church. And, you know, it's just one of those things of in season and out of season. And in my mind, my time frame, what was going on, oh, i got to do this, this, and this. I'll just get to that in a little bit. And how many times do we do that spiritually? We see that person, and maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or a friend, and they've been so heavy on the heart, and you're like, boy, I really want to talk to them. The next time that they happen to be out and I happen to be out, I'll go over and do that. Okay, that's good. But sometimes in season, out of season, God says, just go over right now. I'll just do this. Or make that phone call now. Oh, I, I can't make that phone call now. I got so much. Drop that card now. Oh, I, I will. I will. So often we don't honor the Lord with our possession, our possession of time, because it doesn't fit and work into our schedule. And God says, put me first. I was reading a commentary this uh, recently, and the pastor said the first thing he does when he gets up in the morning, he has his list of what he wants to get done. And I'll tell you right now, I, I carry this green thing in my pocket, and i got a list of people I want to contact here before we take off. But you know what? what matters most is who does God want us to contact? Who does God want us to minister to and get a chance to chat with? So why don't we, verse 28? Why do we do verse 28? Why do we say to our neighbors, go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it to you? I, I wrote down two reasons why we do that. And this is for me. First reason we do that, according to me, myself, is I'm sometimes just lazy. I just don't want to do it. I mean, there's no other deep spiritual reason. I mean, I hear the same announcements you hear. There's help needed here. We could do this. We could do that. I live in the community. I see what's going on. I'm just lazy. You know, do I want to do that? I don't know if I want to do that. 
Wife's busy, family's busy, kids busy. Sometimes I'm just lazy. Second one is the sacrifice. I may not be lazy, but do I want to sacrifice my time, energy, and resources to go do that? Because you know what, guys? It is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to serve the Lord. But you know, leaders lead from the front. And what did Jesus do? He set the example of the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus said, you know what? I came down to die on the cross for your sins. I could come down and say, let's just sacrifice a few more lambs. No, I am the lamb. Jesus could have come down and just said, you know what? Forget this. This isn't worth it. He said it is worth it because these people need a Savior. He led by the ultimate sacrifice. He gave up his time, his energy, his resources. He gave up his life for you and I. So when we sit there and we mumble around, fumble around of I'm busy or boy, there's a lot going on, Jesus said, yeah, cross was a little inconvenient for me too. But the Bible says also, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And you know what? It is tough. It is tough to get out there and serve sometimes. I'll be the first one to say that it's tough to give up our time. And maybe it's tough to give up that time just to quietly spend it in prayer, be it in the Word, or spend it with your family, or serve at church, whatever it is. But when you honor the Lord with your possessions, God says there's a blessing that comes out of that. And when he also says when you give of your time, energy, and resources to your family, friends, and neighbors in the church. There's a blessing that comes out of that. You get to be an instrumental part in furthering the kingdom of God. See, this is the thing. Every election year, you hear those little phrases of every vote counts, right? I can remember back in high school, going through government class. Every vote counts. Now, I'm not smart, but I'm not dumb. And I can remember looking at some of these elections, and like you know, the close election between uh, uh, Nixon and JFK. You, know, you look at how close some of these states were, and there's only a difference of roughly 1.25 million votes. Well, every vote doesn't count then. There's a surplus of 1.25 million votes. Every vote is important, without a doubt. Take that blessing you have to live in this wonderful country and go vote, and hopefully vote for good, godly, moral things. But the truth in the matter is every vote counting, it's the surplus of votes that count. See, but the thing here in the kingdom, truly, now this is the truth, every little action you do matters. That's not just saying, that is true. Every little action you do makes a difference for all of eternity. You know, you may not see it at this point, you may not see it at this time. Every little tidbit does. That extra few minutes you spend in the word or prayer that is like compound interest over eternity. It makes a huge difference. Those few times where you say, you know what? It's in the whole scheme of things, you know, it's the big deal if I go over and help my neighbor do that. Or I see him out in the yard doing that. I should probably just run down there real quick. Oh, he doesn't need it. He's fine. Sometimes planting those seeds carry more weight than you can absolutely ever imagine. I've had so many times out here at church where sometimes so I'll drop a phone call to somebody and never hear a response. I'll drop a card to him or text him, never hear a response. Months later, he'll be like, you know, when, when I wasn't there for a while and it was kind of a dark time spiritually, when you did that really meant a lot to me. I had no idea. I thought it was emptiness. No response, no nothing. But yet those little actions carry fruit for all of eternity. So when you leave this building today, remember that. 
Honor the Lord with your possession of your time, your energy, and your resources. You will reap blessings and benefits for all of eternity, and you will truly make a difference in the kingdom and everything you say and everything you do. Marv, if you want to come forward here for the final song.